Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And so today, the parable that we're going to look at is one of the last parables that Jesus tells his disciples before his crucifixion. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at the parable of the ten minas. Okay, it's called the ten minas, or a servant, or a king rather, and his servant. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to be at. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Cool? All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus. God, you gave us Jesus, though we didn't deserve it, you give us grace. Lord, you sent your son to die in our place, to give us grace and mercy and redemption. Father, you give us the Holy Spirit to enable us and empower us and gives us new gifts, to be able to serve with new abilities. Lord, you give us the church so that way we can find identity and purpose for our life. And God, you give us the great gift of eternal life, life with you forever. So, Father, we praise you for your good, for your graciousness, and, Lord, for your generosity. Lord, I pray today that this sermon would um, open up our hearts to be able to receive the fullness of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that people's hearts and minds would be open to receive your word today, and that what goes forth today will go forth forever and change this church and change this city, and, Lord, it will be the catalyst to bring change in the world around us. Lord, we praise you and pray to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Say you meet somebody for the first time, right, and they ask you, tell me about yourself. What would you say? Say you meet somebody and you say, hey, who are you? And they'd say, well, I don't know. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor, right? That's me. That's Byron. I'm a husband, father, pastor. For me, those are my responsibilities, and my responsibilities kind of make up my identity. It's kind of like who you are determines what you do. And so if you meet someone for the first time, what would you say? Probably be similar. I'm a mom. Right? I'm, I'm, uh, this is where I work. This is where I went to college. These are the hobbies that I'm into. Right? I'm a husband. I'm a wife. Right? You would tell them the responsibilities that you have because what you do determines who you are, vice versa. And it's the same way with Jesus. See, here at Redemption, we like to talk about Jesus in a couple different ways. As prophet, as priest, and king. Okay, so when you're reading through the Bible you'll notice that there are certain aspects of Jesus' life where he's very prophetic. And this would be even in the parables. So a prophetic parable would be like the Good Samaritan. This is when Jesus is engaged in conflict with religious leaders. He's rebuking them and calling people to repentance. So he's very prophetic, very black and white. Other times, Jesus is more priestly. So this would be like the parable of the widow and the judge, where he's always encouraging his disciples to keep praying and to not lose heart. But today we're going to look at a parable that highlights the fact that Jesus is king. And so today we're going to get a very kingly story from Jesus. Now some of you, you bend prophetic, okay? So for you, you gravitate to the places where Jesus is preaching and teaching and calling people to worship and repentance and using his supernatural abilities to further the kingdom of God. So for you, you bend more prophetic. Now, some people, you've been more priestly. So this is the places where you love when Jesus is hanging out with the poor and with the the prostitutes, and he's calling the children to him, and he's praying over people and making disciples. And so for you, you gravitate towards those aspects of Christianity because you've been more priestly. However, there's another aspect of Jesus's life that has been severely neglected, and that's the fact that Jesus is king. Now, Jesus gives resources and opportunities and finances and responsibilities to his people, to his servants, to steward his church. 
And so today we're going to look at an aspect of Jesus that highlights the fact that Jesus is king. And what you need to know is that we need every part of Jesus to be able to get the fullness of the kingdom of God. And we need all aspects of Jesus's life and ministry for us to grow into the fullness of what God has for us as a church. And so just the same, if you remove one of your responsibilities, you lose your identity. When we lose one aspect of Jesus, we lose focus and clarity on who Jesus is. So we need the fullness and the totality of Jesus's life and ministry for us to live a life that matters. So how many of you guys want to live a life that matters? You want to live a life that counts, right? So this sermon's going to be great for you. We want to live a life that matters for our family. We want to live a life that matters for our faith and for even in our finances or at work or at school. And so this is going to be a very kingly message. And it's going to give us direction for our lives and let us know how we are to live. And so we're going to look at this parable about a king and his servants. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 19, verses, um, verse 11. Here's what Jesus says. He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to the kingdom, uh, because he was near to Jerusalem. Okay, let's pause right there. Okay, so um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he is going to be tried, arrested, crucified, and killed. At the time of telling this parable, it's maybe a week before Jesus' crucifixion. So we're leading up to the time that he is going to be betrayed. And so it's with that in mind that Jesus begins to tell this parable because that's his journey and that's his destination. That's the reason that he came. So he's heading to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now we talked a, bit, a little bit about this last week. See, all the people in Jesus's life, they thought that the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke of was going to be immediate. They thought it was going to be a kingdom here on earth, that he was going to bring a new religious order, that he was going to bring um, government reign or a military rule. But that's not the, the kingdom that Jesus had in mind. The kingdom that Jesus spoke of was not something you touch or taste or feel, but it was something that you live. It was something that you experience. And the kingdom that God is speaking of is in heaven, not necessarily here on this earth. And it's with that in mind that Jesus tells this parable to show the kingdom of God. So here's the parable, okay? Here's what he says in verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into the far country to receive himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. Now, um, we don't know how much a mina is in today's worth um, because we don't have minas, we have dollars. But back then, it would have been like three months wages. So think about it kind of like $15,000 in our day. So that's, that's kind of a lot of money. And so he gives each of his servants a mina, about $15,000. And this is what he said to him, engage in business until I come. Now that's very kingly language, right? So here's some money, here's some investments. I want you to engage in business while I'm gone. Make sure you make the most out of what I've given you. Receive a return. Give wisely, be a good steward. I want you to invest. So the king gives him this money and says, engage in business, very kingly. That's important to remember. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Okay, so here's what we got in the story. We got a nobleman. Okay, he's going away to a far country where he's going to be crowned as king. And so the nobleman leaves and then he entrusts his property, he entrusts his business to his servants. So the nobleman has servants and also we see that the nobleman has enemies. Now, whenever it comes to understanding the parables, we've got to ask ourselves the question, who am I in this story? 
Each character represents a certain person, so we got to determine, who am I in this story? Now, when you read this story, let's ask, who's Jesus? He's the king. Jesus is the king, right? You're not the king, okay? Jesus is the king. And so, if Jesus is the king, then that means that we are his servants or his enemies. And so, think about Jesus as king. He leaves heaven, and he becomes a man. And then he grows in wisdom and stature as a young man. And as a young man, he gets a job working a blue-collar career, swinging a hammer as a carpenter, vocationally, poor. He grows in wisdom and stature until he enters into his public life and ministry. As Jesus enters into public life and ministry, he starts teaching and preaching and performing miracles, and he builds massive amounts of crowds. And as these crowds, they come and they they follow Jesus, sometimes we see it's up to over 5,000 people come out to listen to Jesus preach and teach. And so in these crowds, you have people who love Jesus, and they want to follow him, they want to know him, they want to serve him, but not everybody who follows Jesus actually loves Jesus. Some people follow him, not because they're committed, but rather because they're critics. They're not following him because they love him, they follow him because they hate him. They're following him because they're opposed to him, not because they want to know him. They're not friends, they're foes. And it's with this in mind that Jesus heads to Jerusalem to go to the cross where ultimately he dies for your and my sin. Where he dies in our place, gives us grace, though we don't deserve it, he gives it to us freely. It's with this in mind that Jesus is heading to the cross. And as Jesus heads to the cross, he dies the death that we deserve in our place, and then he resurrects, he overcomes Satan's sin, death, hell, and the grave, and then he ascends to heaven where now he is ruled and crowned as king. And one day, Jesus will return, and he'll bring the kingdom with him in all of its fullness. So Jesus lives, Jesus dies, Jesus rises, Jesus ascends into heaven, and one day, Jesus will return. That's Jesus. And so Jesus is the king. That makes you and I the servants. And so Jesus entrusts his kingdom to us while we're here on earth. And that's why we serve, and that's why we reach out to people who are far from God. That's why we continue to invest in the kingdom. That's the reason that Redemption Church exists. Redemption exists to join God in the renewal of all things by making disciples who make disciples. That's our thing. And so that's the reason that we worship. That's the reason why we gather here on Sunday mornings. That's the reason why we sing songs. That's the reason why we pray for one another. That's the reason that we preach and teach and have kiddos running around upstairs because we want to worship. We want people to know who Jesus is. This is also the reason that we live in community. This is why we meet in homes across the city where we share meals and pray for one another and read our Bibles together. This is why we live in community and relationships and accountability with one another. This is also the reason as a church that we engage in mission, supporting missionaries around the world. This is the reason why we support local organizations, both home and abroad, because we want people and as many people to meet Jesus as possible. That's why we do what we do, because we're his servants. And so Jesus is the king, we're his servants, and then the king gives his servants something. What is it that we see that his, the king gives his servants? Money. Okay, now in this sermon, you're going to hear three of Jesus' favorite subjects. Okay, he's going to talk about the kingdom, he's going to talk about money, and he's going to talk about hell. All right, three of Jesus' favorite subjects tend to be our least favorite subject. So just let that sink in for a sec. So why do you think Jesus speaks on money so much? Because money determines the way we view our life. Jesus speaks about money more than anyone else in the entire Bible. Actually, in the Gospel of Luke, one out of seven verses 
Jesus is speaking about the way we view our money. Jesus talks about money so much because money determines the way that we view our life. Where you work, right? where, you, where you go to school, how you raise your kids, what do you do on the weekends, what do you eat, where do you go? Like Money determines the way that we view our life. And Jesus understands this, and Jesus knows this, and Jesus knows the struggle that many of us have when it comes to the situation of money, and he wants to show you he's better. And so Jesus talks about our money because Jesus loves us, and he has something better for us. And so when it comes to our understanding of money, typically there's three ways in which people view money. But let me say this first. A lot of people say, the church just wants from me my money. Not true. Not true. We don't want from you anything. We want for you to be able to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. We want for you to be able to live a life that matters. We want for you to live a life that counts. We want for you to be able to have all the blessings and next steps that the Lord has available for you. And so we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. We want for you everything that Jesus has. And Jesus makes promises when it comes to the way we steward and invest our lives. And so when it comes to our view of money, there's typically three ways in which we see it. The first way that we see it is a selfish mentality. Now what this says is what's mine is mine. It's a selfish mentality. I earned it. I deserve it. I can do whatever I want with it. It's my name on the bank card. It's my name on the paycheck. Right? You can't tell me what to do with my money. It's mine. That's a selfish mentality. The second mentality is the entitled mentality. What this says is what's yours is mine. That, that you have a lot, I have a little, that's not fair, so I'm going to take some from you so I can have a little bit more. That's the entitled mentality. Now, there's a third way that we view money, and that's called a steward mentality. It's called stewardship. And what stewardship says is what's mine is his. And a steward understands that everything we have in this life is a gift from God. That God has given to us his resources for us to invest in this life. And so that as long as I'm here on earth, God gives me a little, and he gives me the opportunity, he gives me the privilege to give others some as well. So the king blesses us, and he lets us live our lives, and he expects of us to invest our lives. Everything that we have is a gift from God. So God is the owner, and then we are the stewards. Right? Jesus is king, and then we are his servants. So which one do you think that we as Christians should take? The steward. We should take a stewardship mentality, recognizing that everything we have is a gift from God, that God has been good, God has been gracious, God has been generous to us, and so all of our lives is really just investing in the kingdom of God, that we invest our dollars and days in strategic ways so that the kingdom and the mission of God can be furthered both at home and abroad. And it says that all of my time, all of my talents, all of my treasures ultimately belong to him. And as he trusts me with some of his resources, I invest it in the best way that he sees possible. And that's what it means for us to be a steward. That's the mindset that a Christian should have. Now imagine like this. Think about life like this. Now a lot of you, you have money in savings somewhere. Okay, think about it like a retirement account, maybe an investment that you have made. We have money somewhere, IRA, 401k, tied up in the stocks or at work, right? Now imagine if you were to take your hard-earned money and then you were to give it to a, a broker or um, an investor or someone on Wall Street, and then they were to take your money, invest it unwisely, pay themselves a large salary, and then lose all your money. How would you feel? 
Well, you'd be pretty angry, right? You'd be pretty angry. Okay? And this is the reason why all the, the unrest in our nation economically and around the world, that people are fed up with big businesses and marketers and advertisers and bankers and Wall Street types who just take your money, invest it unwisely, line their pockets, and then you're the only one who loses. People are fed up. People are frustrated with this, this happening around the world because the rich keep getting richer, the poor keep getting poorer, and you and I were stuck in the middle with nothing. And so this is the reason for the political unrests and all the protests that are happening. It's a mismanagement. It's a mistrust. It's a misallocation of your money, your resources, and your country. And Jesus feels the same way about us. When we mismanage his money, when we mismanage his kingdom, see, it's so easy for us to look at all the ways that they have sinned against us but we need to consider the ways that we've sinned against him. Are we being wise? Are we being faithful? Are we being fruitful? Are we being good stewards? That's what Jesus is getting at when he's telling his disciples and you and me this parable, that what we do matters. And so here's what Jesus says next. He says in verse 15, when he, which is the king, Returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained in doing business. And so, yes, you need to understand, Jesus is your prophet, and that he preaches and he teaches and he calls us to rejoice and to repentance, and that he gives us gifts, supernatural gifts and financial gifts to be able to serve and edify and to build the body. So, yes, Jesus is our prophet, and Jesus also is our priest. And that he loves us, he cares for us, he provides for us, he nurtures us, he prays over us. But you also need to understand that Jesus is our king. And that he rules and he reigns with authority and with power and with privilege. Jesus is our king and he gives us responsibilities and he gives us opportunities. And so the question that Jesus wants us to consider is, what are we doing with our life? What are we doing with what the king gives to you? Are you living for his glory or are you living for your own glory? Are you living for his name or are you living for your own name? Are you living for his fame or are you living for your fame? What are you doing? Are you using money to love people or are you loving money and using people? Jesus wants to know what we're doing with what he has given us. It's a lesson here about stewardship. And so let's take a look at each one of these servants and learn from them as to what it means for us to live in the kingdom of God. And so we're going to take a look at the first servant. We're going to call him the faithful steward. Here's what Jesus says. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Okay, how many of you at the end of your life, you long to hear these words, well done. You long to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Right, that's the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is that you leave everything behind, that you give Jesus everything you have, and then when you meet Jesus, either through your death or his return, he king, he looks at you, he smiles and says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the goal of the Christian life, and that's my prayer for each of you. To hear the king say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now here, Jesus is teaching us a principle. Jesus here is teaching us a lesson, okay? And the lesson here is faithfulness. That's the goal. 
you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. No, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. See, the idea is that Jesus is far more concerned with your faithfulness than he is your successfulness. Okay, in our life, people tend to focus on success. That we see CEOs and celebrities and bosses and leaders and pop icons and athletes, and we think, this is what it means for us to be successful. That's my goal in life, to be successful, for me to finally make it and have all, everything that they have. And we think that's what it means for success. And this even creeps into the church, that people see the pastor or deacons and elders and board members, and they think, that's what it means to be successful. That's what it means for to be holy. That's what it means for me to be wise. But that's not true. See, Jesus isn't concerned about your success as much as he is concerned about your faithfulness. Faithfulness, that's the goal. The goal is to be faithful. And so this doesn't mean you have to be the best at everything. You just have to strive to make it better. Take the little bit that you've been given and then give a little bit and God will give you a little bit more. Take the opportunities that God has given you and then be wise, be responsible, and then God will give you a little bit more. It's just be faithful with the little things. And as you're faithful with things that are small, you'll grow and God will give you a little bit more opportunity. You don't have to be the best at everything. Just strive to make it better. Be faithful. See, I'm teaching this lesson to to the young leaders in our church. On Monday nights, I got about six or seven young men and women in our church that are wanting to grow to become leaders and future leaders of the church and deacons here. And my goal is by the end of the year, we'll have some deacons set up. And so, you know, we're talking with them and they love Jesus and they love the church and they love to see the church grow and they love all of you and they want to see us all take the next steps. And so in our, in our leadership meetings, and, um, and they say, well, Byron, what do I need to do to be a better leader? That's the question they ask. And my answer is always the same, faithfulness. Just be faithful. Start small, dream big. But you got to start small. You'll notice that this servant, he didn't start with 10 minas. He started with one. Everyone starts with one. And as we're faithful in a little, God will give us a little bit more. As we invest the responsibilities we've been given, God will give us a little bit more responsibility. See, in my life, I didn't start off as the pastor, Okay? Um, God saved me when I was 20. It is my story. God saved me when I was 20. I joined a good church, and I was there for about two years. And I didn't do anything. I, I came in on Sundays, and I consumed from the church, but I, I never contributed. And as I'm sitting there for two years, I realized that people were serving all around me, and I wasn't playing my part. And so I thought, well, someone paid for the seat I'm sitting in. I would like to you know, probably buy a seat for somebody else in the future, so I remember when I tithed for the very first time. When I gave that first 10%, I remember that moment. Man, my hands were sweaty. I was nervous. I was like, God, I don't know if I can do this. And I remember when that plate came by me. I said, what do I do? Do I give? Do I do it? I don't know. And then I just dropped it in. The plate went by. And you know what? I didn't die. <laughs> I didn't die. And you know, it actually felt pretty good. And that when I gave my heart grew a little bit more. And so the, the next week I gave again and I still didn't die. And my heart grew for the church a little bit more. I started to really love my church. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to tithe. Well, I'm, I should serve somewhere. So I volunteered with the youth group. So I started hanging out with the youth. And I was like, hey, I'm not dying here either. Although sometimes I wanted to, working with youth, but um, God grew me. 
man, I, I love these kids, right? I love seeing what Jesus is doing. So I'm going to join a small group. So then I joined a community group. And guess what? I grew again. And then from that, I opened up my home for another community group. And I grew again. And then my friends started meeting Jesus. And I had more opportunities to be faithful. And I started praying more. And I started giving more. And then God called me into ministry. So then I took that call and I brought it to my pastors. They prayed over me and they affirmed it. So after I prayed, I started taking classes. I started reading books. And then about a year through that, they affirmed my ministry. I got a credential and they sent me to Houston to plant churches. So me and Ashley moved to Houston, don't know anybody, don't have anywhere to live. We packed everything up in a little Honda Accord because that's all we had and that's all we drove. And we just moved to Houston. And then we joined a church plant. And so for about a year, I swept up cigarette butts in the parking lot, stacked chairs, unloaded you know, the trailer and, and set up and tore down every single Sunday. Still wasn't a pastor, but I was just being faithful in where God called me. And then from there, about a year later, they gave me a promotion into being a pastor. So I started serving as a pastor there for two years as a connect pastor. Then we moved to New York and we planted another church. So as we planted this church in New York, as the church grew, I grew, and it was amazing. Now, you need to know the church won't grow beyond you. If you're not willing to be faithful and growing, nothing around you is going to continue to grow because you can't give people what you don't have. And so as I grew and the church grew, we started working together. It was amazing. And then a year later, God called us back to Beaumont. So we started working on planting the church. Now, redemption is a year old, but this is 11 years in the making. Do you see that? That it's 11 years in the making of faithfulness, of humility, of failures and mistakes and learning and picking yourself back up and moving forward. So in your life, you don't just start off with the dream job. Right? You got to work through it. You got to be faithful. You start small, you dream big, but you're faithful. Okay, guys? In, in your marriage, ladies, in, in your marriage, right? It's about faithfulness. So as, as, you, as you get married, probably the first week is pretty awesome. And then after that, it kicks in. And statistically, they say that a marriage isn't actually fulfilled until about year 30. They say it's about 30. That's the happiness part of a marriage, 30 years. How do you get there? Faithfulness. It's faithfulness. Faithfulness at your job, faithfulness in college, faithfulness at work, faithfulness in your marriage, faithfulness in your finances. So you start small, you dream big, and then God makes up the difference. And that's how it works in your life, that's how it works in my life, and that's how it works in the church. That God wants us to be faithful. Now, Eugene Peterson calls this long obedience in the same direction. That's what it is. That it's day in, day out, continual, ongoing progress of faithfulness. Long obedience in that same direction. So we pray, Lord, make us faithful. So the question is, are you faithful? Now behind every stewardship principle, there's also a kingdom principle. What you need to know when it comes to your money is that money is not a financial issue. Money is a kingdom issue with financial implications. It's a kingdom issue with financial implications. So behind every stewardship principle, there's also a kingdom principle. And here Jesus says that he gives the man Ten cities. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says ten cities? Well, he's actually speaking about heaven. That's what he's talking about. Now, I assume most of us have an erroneous understanding of heaven. Okay, I say that because for me, I had a wrong understanding for many years. Okay, I assumed it was like pop culture. Like, when you die, you see a bright white light and everybody goes towards the light. And that you're going to be in heaven, floating around on clouds, plucking harps and singing songs for all of eternity. That's not heaven. That sounds like hell. Okay, just saying. 
Also, did you know that heaven is not forever? Did y'all know that? Now, we'll be with Jesus forever, but heaven is not forever. Heaven is actually a temporary resting place for God's people as Christians. It's only temporary. See, God's ultimate plan for your life and my life and everyone who loves Jesus is that just as he resurrected, one day we too will resurrect and be given new bodies. And that as we are given new bodies, God will recreate a new heavens and a new earth. And God will bring us to join him on this new heavens and new earth and we'll live under Jesus' rule and reign in perfect eternity forever. So just as in Genesis chapter 3, God made everything and said it was good, okay? And it was good. So there's no war, there's no injustice, there's no violence, there was no sin, there's no death, there's no disease. That's the world God always intended. It was a perfect place of peace and of flourishing and of harmony. And that's the world that God is going to recreate. And so as Jesus returns, the king returns, he's going to defeat Satan, hell, death, and the grave. He's going to destroy all sin and disease and wickedness. And as he does, he's going to recreate a new heaven and new earth, and we're going to join him in rule and reign alongside of him forever. That's God's ultimate plan. And in this new heaven and new earth, there's going to be, there's going to be joy, and there's going to be laughter, and there's going to be food, and there's going to be art, and there's going to be music, and there's going to be, there's going to be culture, and there's also going to be cities. And what Jesus says is, in this life, the way you live determines the way you'll live forever. That if you're faithful in this life, he can trust you to be faithful in the next. So you need to understand, there is another world. There is another life. There is another kingdom. And the way we live, the way we give of our time, talents, and treasures is investing in the world to come. So your money is not a money issue. It's not a financial issue. It's a kingdom issue with financial implications. So that's what it means for us to be faithful. The second servant, he teaches this lesson. And the second one came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Okay, so the second one comes and says, hey, you gave me five, here's one. And the king says, great job. You did what I asked. You did a great job. You invested wisely. You did well. Here you go, five cities. And the idea here is fruitfulness. That what you do matters. That what you do counts. The idea that Jesus is looking after here is fruitfulness, that you will be faithful and that you would also be fruitful. Now, see, most people tend to think that God is a taker, that God wants to take from you, but that's not true. Our God's not a taker. Our God is a giver, and that God is the most generous. God is the most gracious. God is the most good, and our God is a giver. He gives us Jesus, so Jesus is the most generous person who ever lived. So Jesus gives us life, Jesus gives grace, Jesus is generous. And just as Jesus is generous, then we are to be generous as well. And that when we are generous like Jesus, we become more and more like him. And the more generous we are, the more people have the opportunity to meet him. So let's consider all the ways in which Jesus has been generous to us. How has God been good to us? Okay, first he gives you breath. Okay, that's pretty important, right? That breath you're breathing right now, that's on loan to you from heaven. And one day you will give him his breath back. He gives you life. He gives you family. He gives you friends. He gives you, he gives you jobs. Right? He gives you everything that you have. He gives you his son, Jesus, who gives you life, who gives you grace, who gives you hope, gives you mercy, gives you spirit, who enables you, empowers you to overcome sin and temptation. He gives you new gifts and new abilities to serve and grow the church. He gives you the gift of eternal life, salvation, and hope, and mercy. I mean, we could just go on and on about all the things that God has given us. Amen? 
And so we can go on and on because God has given us everything we need. God has given us everything we need to see in our faith, in our finances, in our family, to see the fullness of the kingdom of God. God has already given us everything that we need for us to be generous and righteous. And as we give to others into the kingdom, what it does is it produces a harvest of righteousness. That's the big idea. For us to be fruitful and for us to bring a harvest of righteousness. So when you give, you're actually helping other people meet Jesus. So when you give, you're planting churches and and you're investing in the kids ministry for those kids who are going to grow up and be the future of our church. You're sending missionaries around the world, right? You're supporting local organizations. We're buying, buying buildings prayerfully. Hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have a place that we can worship and gather and more people can meet Jesus. That's the reason that we give. It produces a harvest of righteousness. And the truth is, is that generosity is God's way to change the world. That God will change the world through the generosity of his people. So that's the kingdom principle. That's the stewardship principle. The kingdom principle is this, is that there will be varying degrees of rewards in heaven based upon the way we give in this life. There will be varying degrees of rewards in heaven based on how we spend our life today. So we see that one servant has 10 and another servant has five. Okay, so, so what this means is that those of you who are faithful, you're going to get a great return on your reward. Those of you who are fruitful, you're going to receive a great return on your reward. For those who give and serve and help others and pray for others and invest in the kingdom of God from a young age, Jesus says they're storing up treasures in heaven. And so for you, you're going to get a very good, blessed reward. Compared to the person who's inconsiderate, inconsistent, and irresponsible, while they may make it to heaven, they're not going to have rewards. They're going to be minimal. They're going to be negligible at best. Okay, so you need to know there are blessings attached to your giving. That in this life, we receive a small amount of the blessings God gives. Just a small amount. Okay, sometimes God moves in amazing ways on behalf of his children. I've seen it. It's happened in my life. It's happened in the life of people in this church. Sometimes God does nothing short of a miracle in a person's family and finances. I've seen it. I can't explain it. The numbers don't add up. You give, God makes up the difference because you can't outgive God. And so in this life, there are a small amount of blessings, and that's true. But those only pale in comparison to the rewards that God has promised for us in the future. So the idea is this. You can't take it with you. Right? It's not going to go. Like when you die, you're done. It's not going with you. So you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. The way you give, the way you invest, the way you serve today determines the way in which you'll live forever. Some of you, you're very faithful. You're going to get a tenfold reward. Some of you are very fruitful. You're going to get a fivefold reward. And so you're investing, you're serving, you're giving. Praise God. Some of you are faithful, some of you fruitful. But my fear is, is that some of you are spending your resources here on earth and you're not storing up treasures in heaven. My fear is that you're so concerned and so consumed with things that in the end they won't matter and you're investing in the wrong life. Instead of being faithful and fruitful, I'm afraid you're being foolish. And this is the third servant, the foolish servant. Here's what Jesus says. And then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put money in the bank, and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? So here's the third servant. 
The king comes to him and says, what did you do with my money? What did you do with what I trusted you with? And the third servant comes to him and says, well, here's your one mina. You gave me one, I'm giving you one. He gave him back his original investment. And the king says, why didn't you do anything? And then the servant has the audacity to blame the king for his own foolishness. Well, I knew you were a severe man. I was afraid. I was worried. I didn't want to do anything wrong, so I didn't do anything at all. You need to know that sometimes sin is not doing anything. Sometimes sin is not what you do. It's also what you fail to do. That if you're given opportunities and responsibilities and resources and you don't do anything with them, that in itself is sin. You can be so overcome with with fear and with the fear of failure and paralyzed of failure that not doing anything in itself is your failure. Parents, you understand this, right? You you, You go to your kid, clean your room. It's simple, right? The instructions are clear. I'm not speaking in Greek. I'm not speaking in Hebrew. Or I'm not talking in tongues. Right? We don't need an interpreter. It's simple. Clean your room. Three words. So you come home from church. You come home from work. And you see that the room's still not clean. What do you do? You go to the kid. And you say, you're grounded. But why? I didn't do anything. Exactly. That's why you're grounded. You know what we call that? Disobedience. That's this steward's sin. He was disobedient. That he'd been given resources, he had been given opportunity, he had been given the privilege to be wise and steward and to save and to serve, and he did nothing. It's foolish. And that's the same way that we are when we don't give, when we don't serve, when we don't tithe, when we don't pray for others. We're being foolish. That God has given us so much, and yet we do so little. Here's what we see with the third servant. He took the investment that the king gave him and he wrapped it in a handkerchief. And then he hid it. So my question for you is, what are you doing with your life and faith? Are you wrapping it in a handkerchief and putting it away? What are we doing with what the king gave us? Do we wrap it in a handkerchief and put it away? Well, I believe in God, but I don't pray. Wrapped in a handkerchief. Well, I believe in God, but I I don't know. Church, I'm not sure. Wrapped in a handkerchief. I believe in God, but, you know, I don't really get connected wrapping a handkerchief. I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I don't serve. I don't give. I don't get connected into the life. I'm not involved wrapped in a handkerchief. So many people spend their lives wrapped in a handkerchief. Now, let's say somebody gave you a large inheritance, okay, a million bucks, right? What would you do with a million dollars? Well, you'd use it. Right? You'd probably buy a house, probably buy your mama a house, probably buy a car, maybe give to the church, hopefully, maybe, prayerfully. And you'd, in, you'd invest some. So you'd take that money and you'd use it. Now imagine if you knew somebody who got a million dollars, took the check, folded it up, and put it in their sock drawer. And throughout the, their, all of their life, they never touched it once. What would you think about that person? They're being a fool. In Christ, we received a great inheritance more valuable than any gold here on this world. We've received the promise of eternal life, the good news of Jesus. We receive grace and mercy and salvation. The Holy Spirit enables us and dwells in us, empowers us. He gives us new gifts to serve others. 
In Christ, we received a great inheritance of eternal life, of life with him forever in this new kingdom. We have everything that we need. God has given us everything that we need. And one day the king's going to come to you and he's going to say, what did you do with the life I gave you? And on that day, what are we going to do? Unwrap our life from a handkerchief and say, I did nothing. Do you feel that? See, the stewardship principle is this. What you do counts. The kingdom principle is one day you will give an account. Now one day, you and I, we will stand before the king. And we'll have to give an account for the way in which we lived our lives. And on that day, the king is not going to be impressed with your video games and vacations. He's not going to be concerned with where you went out to eat or the people you spent your life with or where you lived or what car you drove or what clothes you wore. None of that's going to be of any concern to him. The only thing that's going to be concerned is what you did with your life. The only thing that counts is what you have in your account. The only thing that matters is a life lived for God. The only thing that matters is what you have done with the life and the breath that he has entrusted you with. That's what matters. So are you being faithful? Are you being fruitful? Or are we just being foolish? Jesus continues in 24. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that everyone who has will be given, but the one who has not, even what he does not have, will be taken away from him. Now, why would Jesus wait till the very last words of his life to tell this to his disciples? Because he knew that he was about to hand off his mission to them. And that what they lived their life for mattered. That's the reason why Jesus waited till the very end. Now imagine if the disciples were like, oh, Jesus is just doing another money sermon. We don't really have to listen to this. Oh, there goes Jesus talking about money again. What would happen if the disciples then didn't invest their life? What would happen if Jesus' first disciples didn't pray, didn't give, didn't serve, didn't plant churches? What would happen if they didn't share their faith? Well, you and I, we wouldn't be here. None of this would exist if they didn't take this seriously. And so Jesus entrusts them with his mission. Jesus entrusts them with his kingdom. And what those 11 men did who were powerless, poor, and penniless, and humble, what they did is they started a movement that changed the world forever. And so if 11 men can do that, why can't we? Why couldn't we be the difference in the world? If he could do it with 11, he could do it with us. Why not? Same God, same mission, same message, same spirit. The same God then is the same God now, and he expects nothing more, nothing less out of us today as he did his first followers. That God expects the same out of the 21st century church as he did for the first century church. So I want you to be encouraged. I want you to get involved. I want you to to not just sit there, but to do something. If you've never served, serve one week. If you've never given, try that. If you've never tithed, 10%. If you've never gone to a community group, hey, we'd love to have you over this week. If you've never been to church two weeks in a row, we'll see you next week. You can get started. Get involved. Don't wait. And the longer you wait, the more life you waste. But it's never too late for you to be able to get involved in what God has for your life. Jump in. Get involved. God has so much for you. So here's, Jesus summarizes all of this. And this is what he says. Verse 27. But as for those enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Jesus uses 
Two words here. Enemies and slaughtered. Tough word. Do you notice, like, I'm not, I'm not really telling a lot of jokes in this sermon? Like, it's not fun. This is a very serious word from Jesus. See, not everyone will go to heaven. Not everyone will experience the kingdom of God. Not everyone loves Jesus. Not everyone serves Jesus. Not everyone is obedient. Not everyone lives under his rule and his reign. And God wants for us to be brokenhearted about that and to recognize that our lives matter and that the way we live turns, by the power of the Holy Spirit, enemies into citizens. See, Jesus speaks on this so much because he takes it very seriously. He doesn't want anyone to waste their life. He doesn't want anyone to die and to be perished and to to not be with him forever. He wants everyone to love and serve and know and come to know him. And sadly, many people won't. And this is the reason that redemption exists. For you who are far from God, to love and care and serve and preach and invite you to move from enemies into citizens, to move from enemies to friends, enemies to heirs, enemies to children of God. This is the reason that redemption exists, to open our hearts, to open our homes, to see the glory of God on display in every person's life. See, the truth for you is this, friends, is that the king is away. That means there's still time for you. It's not over. The king is away. That means there's still opportunity for you. There's still opportunity for you to invest your life. There's still opportunity for you to, to give with your life. One day the king will return, but that day's not yet. Don't wait before it's too late because we never know. But there's still time for you. And so I would beg of you, I would plead with you, give your life to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. Give him your heart. You say, the church just want my money. No, I don't want your money. Right now I want your heart. That's what I'm concerned with. Give Jesus your heart. If you give him your heart, he'll give you a new heart. If you give him your sin, he'll give you his sinlessness. If you give him your shame, he'll give you his reconciliation. Give Jesus the worst of you, and he will give you the best of himself. If you give Jesus the worst, he will give you his best. God gives you God. Today, you need God. Give him your heart. Some of you need to give Jesus your life. Because you you say, I love Jesus, but you don't live for him. You say, you might live in the kingdom, but you don't experience the fullness that God has for you. And so I would say, give your life to Jesus. Whatever it is you're battling, whatever you're facing, just give it to him. Serve him. Leave it all behind. He'll give you a new life. And today, we also need to give our gifts to Jesus. Okay, now the truth is here at Redemption, we do very well with Jesus' prophet. We do a great job. We we, We preach, we teach, we worship, we sing. Great job, Jesus' prophet. We also do a great job with Jesus as priest. We meet in homes and community groups and pray and eat and we do a great job with Jesus as priest. But the reality is, is when it comes to Jesus as king, we're not doing well. I believe that Jesus has given us a great opportunity for this church. And by God's grace, we can do better. And that's my prayer for us as this church, is that we would see Jesus as king and that we would worship him with all of our lives. 
Has the king been good to us? Yes. The king has been very good to us. And so, you know, since we've planted this church, we started with nothing. And now look at what the king has given. When we started, it was nobody on the team. It was me, Ashley, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. That's all there was. And so we just had a vision, had a dream for a church in the center of the city that would have big, wide open doors and a big heart and see as many people meet Jesus as possible to love and to serve and to be a part of the renewal of the city. That's what we envisioned. And so, and so we just started telling some friends, hey, here's what God's wanting us to do. Would you want to get involved? And more people came. And then we threw a party and more people came. And then more people started so- serving. More people started giving. And we started to grow. And then we outgrew our little apartment that we had in Old Town. And Bo, the worship guy, he opened up his home and we started Bible studies at Bo's house. And then as people jumped into Bo's house, started growing. And then people started giving. So we bought the chairs you're sitting in. We bought the signs that are around. We started buying music equipment because people started giving. And as they gave, we grew. And then we rented the Red Room. And now the kids meet in the Red Room. And then we meet, rented this. And then we launched. People started getting baptized. People started getting saved. People started jumping in. Now let me ask you this. This is what God has done with the faithfulness of a few. Imagine what God could do with the faithfulness of hundreds. If we could do this with the faithfulness of few to reach hundreds, imagine what we could do with the faithfulness of hundreds. We could reach thousands. Why not? Why can't we? The king has been good to us. And so as God gives, we are to give to others. I don't want for us to put this church in a handkerchief. I don't want for us to waste this opportunity. I don't want for us to to lose this responsibility. Imagine with me what this church would look like if everyone played their part. Imagine what this church would look like if everyone invested well into the kingdom of God. What would Jesus entrust for us in this church? What opportunities would Jesus give us in this city? What responsibility would Jesus give us around the world? What would happen? What could we accomplish if everyone in church invested in the kingdom of God? We would be unstoppable. Now, the king has already given us everything we need. It's up for us to give back to him. Be faithful, be fruitful, invest wisely, start small, and dream big. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.